I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Tuesday, the 1st of August, 1905. That was the day Australia's first female lawyer was admitted to the bar. But to get there she first had to fight to change the law. Greta Floss Matilda Gregg, known to all as Floss, was born on the 7th of November 1880 in Dundee, Scotland. Her parents, Robert and Jane, were rare birds for that time in that they encouraged all of their children, male and female, to go on to higher education. And in this, they'd have incredible success. Robert and Jane brought their big brood, five daughters, three sons, to live in Melbourne in April 1889. According to the Australian Dictionary of Biography's entry on Floss, her father had already made inquiries about whether his daughters could attend Melbourne University. If they had emigrated a decade earlier, the answer would have been no. One of the reasons women couldn't be admitted to study for Bachelor of Arts degrees was that the study of Greek was compulsory. The Age newspaper noted that as long as this requirement stood, there couldn't be equal access to university, quote, because some of the best Greek textbooks are books that cannot be put into ladies' hands. Ladies got their hands on these books from March of 1880 when Melbourne University changed its policy. From then on, women could study all courses except medicine. In 1887, this last bastion fell and Melbourne University would have female medical students. In 1891, Floss's older sisters, Jane and Janet, both began their medical degrees. They both graduated in 1895 and both went on to have successful, groundbreaking careers. So, Floss had role models and tough acts to follow. Studying medicine, that was out. As she'd later tell Melbourne's Table Talk newspaper of her decision to study law, quote, I suppose it was having two sister doctors, for it would never do for me to go in for that. I always had the idea in my mind I should like to do it, even when I was at school. The law had called Floss, yet Australia had never had a female lawyer, and the law didn't allow women to be admitted to the bar. Floss wasn't put off, and she became Melbourne University's first female law student. As for how male students reacted, Floss would later say, Yes, I expected difficulties, for my sister had a very hard time. But everyone has been very kind to me. My fellow students could have made matters unpleasant, but they never did. They might disapprove of a woman going in for law, and many of them disliked it, but did not place any difficulties in my way. Not placing difficulties in her way was setting the bar pretty low, but by the time she'd finished the degree, the men apparently all supported her and voted that women should be able to practice law. Floss graduated on the 23rd of March 1903 with third-class honours, ranking second in her year. 
Five days later, Floss's Bachelor of Laws was conferred to wild applause at a ceremony attended by the state governor. Floss Gregg was the first Victorian woman to graduate law and the second in Australia after Ada Evans, who graduated Sydney University at the end of 1902. And we'll come back to Ada a little later. The Age on the 30th of March commented of Floss's achievement, quote, Truly, it was a great day for the advance of women of this state of Victoria. Floss was qualified for the law, but she couldn't practice until the law was changed and she'd already set about doing this. As recounted in an excellent article about Floss by American legal scholar Renee Newman-Nake, which you can find at theconversation.com, Floss enlisted the help of one of her lecturers, John Mackey, who was a member of Victoria's Parliament. As Renee Newman-Nake writes, quote, Mackey argued that by passing the law, Parliament could ease the concerns of women who believed they could not get justice from a legislative body made up only of men. Whatever Mr. Mackey's motives, his and Floss's efforts were successful, and in April 1903, the Victorian Parliament passed the Women's Disabilities Removal Act 1903, which said, quote, No person shall, by reason of sex, be deemed to be under any disability for admission to practice as a barrister and solicitor. This law was nicknamed the Floss Gregg Enabling Act. Floss still had to do her articles, which would take two years, but once they were finished, there'd be nothing to stop her from being admitted to the bar. Table Talk interviewed her that same month, shortly after her parliamentary victory, and the profile was a mixture of admiration and condescension. The overall message of this and other articles was that it was a surprise a woman could be so accomplished while retaining her femininity. Like almost every article about Floss at this time, Table Talk focused first on her appearance. Here's how the piece started. Quote, A first glance at the fair-haired little lady quickly dispels any ideas that may have been preconceived in ignorance. No pale, delicate young student with visible traces of having burned the midnight oil. Neither a hard-featured, spectacled specimen of womanhood who scorns all that is womanly and would delight in poring over dry, uninteresting law books. To Table Talk's amazement, Floss Gregg was, quote, a round-faced, rosy-cheeked, merry little lady whose appearance would rather indicate she has led the life of a country maiden and passed her existence in meadows and the creamery than in the regions of the stone-paved quadrangle of the university. Table Talk expended several paragraphs before readers heard from Floss herself. Even then, it had to be framed by Table Talk allowing her to have a serious opinion. Quote, A woman of Miss Gregg's mental training, it will be admitted, should be competent to speak with authority on the question of higher education for her sex. Miss Gregg, after studying five years at the university, has come to the conclusion that, and here they quoted her, Women are men's equals in every way, and they are quite competent to hold their own in all spheres of life. Floss continued, The university does not tend in any way to destroy the particular charm of a woman. On the contrary, her higher education further develops the feminine qualities with an added polish and refinement. Floss identified as a feminist, also then known as a blue stocking, and she told Table Talk how she'd been treated on account of her beliefs, saying that at Melbourne Uni, feminists were unknown. Quote, 
If the disposition of the female undergrad leads her to become a bluestocking, her fellows immediately do their best to destroy priggishness in any form by means of ridicule. Floss Grigg completed her articles over two years in the offices of Melbourne solicitors Sugden and Cornwall, whose practice covered conveyancing and common law, equity and probate. Floss worked in the office by day and studied at night. Then, on the morning of Tuesday the 1st of August 1905, 115 years ago today, 24-year-old Floss Gregg arrived at the Supreme Court of Victoria. Usually empty, it was packed with her family, her colourfully dressed friends and supporters. Melbourne's bewigged legal fraternity was also out in force to witness this historic moment. The Age reported that, upon entering, the Chief Justice, Mr Justice Holroyd, and Justice Hood, quote, seemed first of all astonished at the unusual appearance of the court. But when their eyes alighted on the petite figure in the centre of the barrister's bench, the reason for the large gathering became at once apparent and astonishment gave place to amusement. Candidates were to be admitted in alphabetical order and, as the age noted, chivalry can have no place when the demand for equality is acceded to. Miss Gregg had to wait until two of the male sex had been formally admitted. Floss's turn came and the Chief Justice said, quote, Miss Gregg, allow me to express my gratification at the graceful incoming of a revolution and to express a hope that the success which has attended you as a student may attend you also in your career as a barrister and solicitor. I also trust that the profession, the noble profession, of which you are the first female member in this country, will be well preserved and sustained in your hands as it has heretofore been in the hands of the other sex. Having sworn their oaths, Floss and newly minted lawyers of the other sex left the court. How these gents celebrated isn't recorded, but Floss, she went straight to work at her office in the Royal Bank Chambers in Elizabeth Street. That afternoon, she was seeing her first female clients while her secretary made legal notes into a phonograph. Table Talk newspaper visited again and Floss explained she'd decided to continue as a solicitor rather than practice as a barrister. This is how the newspaper paraphrased her, quote, It can be readily understood that there are many cases of domestic trouble in which a woman would prefer to seek counsel and learn her legal position from one of her own sex in preference to confiding details to a man. One of Floss's early clients was the Women's Christian Temperance Union, for whom she drafted amendments to the bill that was passed into law by the Victorian Parliament as the Children's Court Act. Floss Gregg would work as a solicitor for more than 35 years, including a dozen in Wangaratta before she retired in 1942. The sort of law that she practiced usually doesn't make headlines, but Floss found it fascinating and would say in 1931, quote, a lawyer's office would be a happy hunting ground for a novelist. It is rather a wonder that more lawyers have not become writers of fiction. All sorts of people drift into lawyers' offices. One comes into contact with members of every social state, the business in hand sometimes giving one a flashlight glimpse into odd corners of lives or bringing into high relief traits of character usually unrevealed. While the day-to-day -day of Floss's legal practice didn't make news, her speeches, travels and activism did. In 1905, she delivered an address titled Some Points of the Law Relating to Women and Children to the Third Annual Congress of the National Council of Women. 
Her speech was described as having covered, quote, reforms gained in the last 20 years and the many still to be won, especially in relation to marriage, divorce, custody of children and intestacy. After her speech, there was a debate about capital punishment, and on this subject, Floss wasn't as progressive. At another National Council of Women meeting in 1908, she'd argue for retaining capital punishment for convicted murderers. Her reasons? Hanging did serve as a deterrent. Juries didn't convict those who killed in fits of passion, and there was no good reason to keep murderers alive. But Floss's chief reason was that murderers sentenced to life would be released in 25 years and father more criminals because crime was to a great extent a matter of heredity. While this last opinion has long been discredited, at the time it seemed reasonable. After Floss's speech, the members of the National Council of Women had what was described as an animated debate that led to a vote on abolishing capital punishment with 22 in favour and 22 against. By August 1914, Floss's pioneering efforts had opened the doors to six other women becoming lawyers, enough to form a women's law society, with Floss elected president. Three years later, in the debate about the second referendum on conscription, Floss came out in favour in a letter that was widely published. In her letter, she argued that every life was sacred. So, it was immoral to refuse to risk Australian lives to save those in Europe who were at the mercy of the Germans. While Australians would eventually reject conscription, Floss made a compelling argument using the analogy of a shipwreck. Quote, Imagine that there was a terrible wreck in sight of land and there were hundreds of men standing on the shore, gazing out to sea, watching the unfortunate people clinging to the wreck and struggling for their lives and shrugging their shoulders and saying, I'm not going to help them. True, I might be able to save quite a lot, but then again, I might get drowned myself. And suppose you were looking on and it was in your power to decide whether the men on shore be made to go to the assistance of the shipwrecked folk or not. What would you do? All lives are equally sacred, the lives of the people in danger, as well as those of the more fortunate who happen for the time being to be living in happy security. There will be blood on our hands whichever way we vote. War means bloodshed and Germany stands for war. Floss finished with vote yes for the sacredness of human lives. Whether you agreed with Floss's opinions wasn't the point. The point was she was one of the increasing number of women with a voice and other women hearing these voices were more likely to speak up for themselves and demand greater equality. Floss Gregg also travelled widely, sharing what she'd learned in lectures and radio broadcasts. She visited New Guinea and New Caledonia in 1922, and in 1927 went on a grand tour to Bali, Burma and beyond, perpetually fascinated by the women she encountered. She told the Weekly Times in July 1927, quote, The girls and women of Bali, an island near Java, have the most beautiful carriage I have ever seen. They walk with a gently swaying motion, the result, I suppose, of carrying two or three tiers of baskets on their heads. They seem to do all the work. Burma offered yet more astonishment. Quote, Being a feminist, I was very glad to enter Burma where the women do not have to rush away into the house and hide their faces when they see a man coming. The Burmese women are the gayest and most flirtatious creatures. 
They smoke six-inch long cheroots. I shall never forget seeing in one place a little four-year-old girl in the nude, sitting on the steps of a building, smoking like her mother. Melbourne Wireless listeners heard these adventures recounted in Flo's 15-minute segments on 3LO, which covered subjects that included Bangkok, the Venice of the East, the overcrowded city of Canton, and Rangoon, where elephants work in the timber mills. After Floss's retirement in 1942, at the age of 62, she moved to Rosebud on the Mornington Peninsula. Floss Gregg died at the age of 79 on New Year's Eve 1958. By then, she appears to have faded into semi-obscurity because I haven't been able to find an obituary printed in the age. But two months later, Floss's certificate of admission to practice law would hold a prominent place in a collection of documents shown to the public by the Law Institute of Victoria to celebrate its centenary. Floss Gregg was a pioneer who blazed the trail for future women lawyers. Yet that progress was slow. As a mark of how slow, consider this. Sydney's Ada Evans had been the first woman to get a law degree, but she missed out on becoming Australia's first female lawyer because New South Wales wouldn't allow women to practice until a parliamentary act in late 1918. That was 16 years after she graduated. Ada then had to study again until 1921 when she was finally admitted to the bar. By this time, Ada Evans declined to practice as a barrister because she was nearly 50, had a family and well aware of the scrutiny she'd be under as a working mother, she didn't want, quote, women standing in the profession to be undermined by a show of incompetence. Another measure of how slow progress was can be found in a comparison of a table talk remark in that 1903 article about Floss Gregg with how history actually unfolded. The table talk scribe had written, quote, In two years we shall see a woman at the bar. Are there any more conquests to be made by Australian women? Who knows? Perhaps a seat on the Supreme Court awaits Miss Gregg. That wouldn't happen for Floss, and it'd be over 90 years before Victoria appointed Rosemary Barnford as its first female Supreme Court judge in March of 1996. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.